don't you just hate it when this happens? Like you're happily chatting away in your bright blue world, liking, laughing at messages, getting read receipts, seeing three little dots when someone's typing, and then bam, they go and get an Android and everything turns green. And it's even worse in a group text, because then you get messages that say things like, liked, see you tomorrow, and then liked, John liked, see you tomorrow, and then laughed at, Tim liked, John liked, see you tomorrow, and then John laughed at, Tim liked, John liked, see you tomorrow. It becomes ridiculous. And if you know what I'm talking about, then good for you for having an Android. <laughs> to fill you in, this is all part of a strategy by Apple to peer pressure people into buying iPhones. According to a recent Wall Street Journal article, Apple created its iMessage service, that's the one with the blue bubbles, so that people would peer pressure one another into getting an iPhone so they didn't have to deal with the dreaded green bubble. And apparently, it's working at least among 18 to 24-year-olds, who are twice as likely to own an iPhone as those aged over 24. See, peer pressure is real. The need to conform, the need to to be like everyone else, to to do what everyone else does. And it doesn't go away when when you get older than 24. The need to have the nice vacation, or or the new car, or or your kids in the right sports, or or the membership to the club, or the right clothes. The, The need to be like everyone else is still very real. We can feel the the pull of the world around us to conform, to fit in, so that we can be accepted. But the message of the Bible encourages us to do the complete opposite. As we continue in our series through the first letter of Peter, we're going to see that the call of God on our lives is to live like no one else so we can live like no one else. Actually, I stole that line from Dave Ramsey. If you've ever taken Financial Peace University, you'll know it. But I love it. And I believe that is what Peter is teaching us in the few verses that we are going to look at today. Well, welcome to Chapel Hill. My name's Ellis. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad you're joining us, whether you're here in the room or whether you are at home or wherever you are online. I am glad that you are worshiping with us today. And we're continuing, as I said, in our series through the first letter of Peter. Peter was one of Jesus's closest followers, and about 30 years after Jesus died, he wrote this letter to a group of Christians in modern-day Turkey. Now, these early Christians were living in a culture that was antagonistic to their faith. There wasn't systemic persecution, but there wasn't total freedom of religion either. Peter reminded them that this was to be expected. They were exiles living in a world not their own. And today, I think we share many similarities with those early Turkish Christians. We don't live with systemic persecution, but our culture is increasingly antagonistic to our faith. So how then should we live? Two weeks ago, Pastor Mark laid the groundwork for this concept that we are exiles awaiting a future hope. 
And last week, he shared about the nature of the salvation that we have in Christ. And this week, we're going to continue through the first chapter of this letter, and we're going to see Peter begin to address the question, how then shall we live? If we are exiles who have been saved by Jesus, and yet we still continue to live in this unbelieving world, how should we live? And the answer he gives is, live like no one else, so we can live like no one else. Say that with me. Live like no one else, so we can live like no one else. As I said, I'm quoting Dave Ramsey here, who's talking about money, but I think Peter says this concept applies to our whole lives. So let me walk you through that concept. First, I want to begin with the the end of that statement. That's where Peter starts, so that we can live like no one else. That's where Peter begins, and we're going to be looking at that together today. So grab a Bible or a phone with a Bible app on it and open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're starting in verse 13, and keep it open because we're going to read a few verses at a time and move back and forth. So verse 13 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Peter writes, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Several years ago, I set my sights on running a half marathon. I've always struggled to consistently exercise, and I thought setting myself a goal like that would make sure that I actually got out of bed and worked out, and it did. I was running three times a week, I was cross-training two to three times a week, and, and I was never, I'd never run faster than I was running at that time in my life before. I'd never run further than I was running at that time in my life before. My, my hope was fully set on completing that half marathon. Peter encourages us to fully set our hope on the future riches that we will get when Christ comes again. He calls us to take our eyes off of the present and look to the future, to the day when Jesus Christ will be fully revealed to a whole world and and the grace that we will receive in turn on that day, the day when all creation will be renewed, when we will rise again to eternal life on a new earth, an earth where we'll be reunited with our brothers and sisters in Christ, an earth where there'll be no more pain or suffering or disease, where we will live in perfect harmony with one another, where we will live like no one else, so to speak. Think of the most broken relationship in your family. Can you imagine what it would be like to have that relationship fully restored? Or think about the most painful loss you've ever experienced. Can you imagine never having to go through that grief again? Or think about the most painful situation or circumstance you've ever had at work. Can you imagine only ever experiencing joy in your work? That's what our future in Christ will be like. A place and a time where we will live like no one else. How far removed that sounds from our present reality. You know, a bit like me, when I was training for that half marathon, the the thought of running 13.1 miles seemed 
so different to my current reality of panting my way through 3.1 miles. The reality is we don't live in a world as we really long for it to be, as, or as it will one day truly be. The world that we live in is full of broken systems and structures and sinful people, myself included, who've created a painful place for us to live. Yes, we can sense the goodness of God's original design, and, and we often experience it, but it's never long before it comes crashing down again as we're hit with the news of, of death or of a sickness or a job loss or financial crisis or natural disaster. We long for a better world. And in Christ, we have that better world. One day, we will live like no one else. And that's the grace that Peter calls us to fully set our hope upon. You know, when I was training for my half marathon, I recall waking up early, 5 a.m., it pouring with rain outside, having spent most of the night already awake because my newborn son had been screaming. And in moments like that, I recall that all I wanted to do was get back into bed, hide under the covers. And in those moments, what I had to do was fully set my hope on completing that half marathon. I had to remind myself of what was to come, of the joy of crossing the finish line, of the achievement of it all. And when we face pressures in this world, in this life, maybe pressures to conform, to be like everyone else, maybe just the pain and suffering that we're in, we too need to fully set our hope on the new heavens and the new earth. We need to turn our eyes away from the obstacles in front of us and instead look fully to the future, knowing that one day we will live like no one else. But if one day we want to live like no one else on the new earth, do you know what that means about how we live today? It means that today, we need to start living like no one else. And that's what Peter goes on to say in the following verses. Take a look at verse 14 and following. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. After my eldest, Evelyn, was born, we were given a, a, a kit to, uh, by my dad to make a mold or a cast of Evelyn's feet. We had to take this, this bag of crystals and uh, mix it with water and pour it into a tub. And then we had to submerge Evelyn's tiny little feet into this jello-like substance for a couple of minutes until it set. Now, that's a lot easier said than done with a one-month-old, let me tell you. And then there was this other bag of dry, powdery stuff. We mixed that with water, and then we poured it into the holes that her feet had left. And, and this set overnight, conforming exactly to the shape of her feet. And this is what we got. It's, it's pretty, pretty cool and, uh, and, and sweet, I, I think. Although my, my wife, even this morning when I got it out, likes to remind me that it's just a little bit creepy. It's... <laughs> 
It's kind of like we chopped her feet off and um, put them in a shadow box, isn't it? (laughs) Peter writes in these verses that we are not to conform to the passions of our former ignorance. He's writing it to Gentiles, non-Jews, who before coming to faith in Jesus would have been ignorant of how to live. And he's encouraging them not to allow their lives to be conformed to the old patterns of living, the patterns that the rest of the world would follow. Just like the, the mixture of plaster conformed to the mold of Evelyn's feet, we live in a world that seeks to conform us to its patterns and behaviors. Instead, Peter writes, we are to be holy, like God is holy. And then this, this word holy literally means to be set apart. We are not to be like everyone else. We are not to follow the status quo. We aren't to spend our money like everyone else in the world, seeking fulfillment in possessions or experiences. We aren't to spend our time like everyone else in the world, seeking fulfillment in entertainment. We aren't to conduct our relationships like everyone else in the world, seeking fulfillment in what we can get from others. We are not to conform but to be set apart, to be holy. We are to live like no one else. I once heard someone ask the question, if you were being tried in a court of law for being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you of that crime? Is there enough evidence in your life of how you live and act and speak, things that other people can see, that sets you apart from your unbelieving friends and family and neighbors? Or would there be so little evidence that it would be hard for a jury to determine if you were guilty of following Jesus or not? Our call as believers in an unbelieving world is to live like no one else, to be set apart. We are not called to conform, to fit into the mold of all the people around us. We are called to be holy, to be different, to live like no one else, so that one day we can live like no one else. And so today, I I wonder if maybe you need to ask yourself the question, Am I more like the world than I am like Jesus? Do I spend my money the same way my unbelieving neighbors do? Do I conduct my work the same way my unbelieving co-workers do? Do I speak the same way my unbelieving family does? Do I date if I'm single or love my spouse if I'm married the same way my unbelieving friends do? Because if so, it may be that you haven't taken seriously the call of Jesus on your life to live like no one else. And if we're all being really honest, every single one of us does this all the time. I do it all the time. I frequently spend my money just like everyone else, thinking that possessions are going to make me happy. 
I frequently spend my time just like everyone else, believing entertainment's going to give me joy. And I frequently treat others like everyone else, as if they're people to be used rather than people to be loved. And so how do we do this? How do we live like no one else? Well, Peter goes on to tell us. He says, through the power of Jesus. Take a look at verse 17 and following. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Living in England, I loved to go to London's West End and get cheap tickets to the theater. I remember one time sitting high up in, in, in the gods, as, as they called it, way up there in the top, and being particularly moved by a moment in one show, Les Miserables. Maybe some of you have seen the movie Les Miserables, so you, you might be familiar with it. But if not, in it we are introduced to a man named Jean Valjean. He has recently been released from prison after serving 19 years of hard labor for stealing a loaf of bread. And now as a former convict, he cannot find any work. Eventually, Valjean is taken in by a bishop named Muriel. Bishop Muriel treats Valjean with kindness and love until one day, Valjean runs away with the bishop's silverware. Valjean is caught and arrested. And at this point, Valjean knows he is facing another long stint of hard labor in prison. Jean Valjean is a picture of each one of us. We've all fallen short of the standards that God has set for us. We've all conformed to the patterns and behaviors of this world, to the ignorance of our, our former futile ways. And as a result... We all deserve a lifetime of hard labor in bondage to our sin. But yet, that is not what happens in our story or in the story of Jean Valjean. The bishop in that story, who, who surely must have felt betrayed after the kindness that she, he had shown to Valjean, decides to tell the police that the silverware Valjean has in his possession was not stolen but was, in fact, a gift. In this way, he releases this man from any debt he might owe and from a lifetime of hard labor in bondage to that debt. And he gives him the gift of a new start with some very valuable silverware. And Valjean cannot believe it. And in the musical, he sings these words. Take an eye for an eye. Turn your heart into stone. This is all I have lived for. This is all I have known. One word from him and I'd be back beneath the lash upon the rack. Instead, he 
He offers me my freedom. What we deserve and what we should expect from our behavior is not what we get. Just as Jean Valjean is offered freedom and a new start, we too are offered freedom and a new start. We too are ransomed from slavery to the debt that we were under. But we are not ransomed with silverware. No, we're ransomed with something far more precious, the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, who Peter tells us existed before the foundation of the world and who was made flesh in the person of Jesus. He took the consequences of our sin upon himself on the cross. He paid our debt so that we might place our faith and our hope not in ourselves, but in Jesus and in him alone. Church, we can only live like no one else because Jesus already lived like no one else. He did what we could not do, living the sinless life and, and taking our place on the cross. We deserve death, but thanks to God, we instead have life. Because of what Jesus did, we get to live like no one else, free from our bondage to sin. And one day we will be reunited with him in eternity, in a new life. But Jesus says that that new life begins today. In and through the power of the Holy Spirit, day by day, we are being conformed, not to the likeness of the world, but being conformed to the image of Christ. And yes, it's a slow process. But if we continue to submit ourselves daily to the work of the Holy Spirit in us, he will continue to make us new. Live like no one else so we can live like no one else. Say that with me. Live like no one else so we can live like no one else. Say it one more time. Live like no one else so we can live like no one else. Today, as we close... I want to invite us to a time of self-reflection, a time of self-examination, to ask ourselves the question, are there areas of my life where I'm still living just like everyone else? And if so, what might the Spirit of Christ in us be calling us to do in order to submit that area of our life to Him? so that we might live like no one else. Life, life to the full, free from the bondage of sin in and through the power of Jesus at work in us. Hi, 
there! Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.